And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. From the Gospel according to St. Mark, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today we hear of Jesus' continued ministry in Capernaum, the hometown of most of the disciples. Indeed, it's a little bit misleading in the Gospel of Mark because it says, and then he went home. And what it means is just simply where he's staying, not his hometown of Nazareth. The crowd has gathered together, so many that neither Jesus nor the disciples could even eat. I kind of wonder what that means. Is it that they're so pressed together that it's like, it'd be like that to eat or because they just can't get food in? But we're told that his family comes looking for him, not for a family reunion, but so that they can take him home to Nazareth. The boy's lost his mind, they say. We do not know what finally causes his family to come out to seize him, whether it's the word on the street that he's lost it, or that what they're hearing from authorities in Jerusalem, but they think that he's gone crazy. And what they've planned is an intervention. I must say, if you haven't been accused of being crazy by your own family, you haven't truly lived. Someone who doesn't care about what their parents or siblings think about them is truly free. A dramatic change of life will absolutely lead those who care the most about you to think you've lost your mind. Even more so if the prevailing winds of opinion are with them and not with you. One of the issues with exegeting this text is, of course, well, but, but what about Mary? But, 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 but what about Mary? And look, and no one loves the Virgin Mary more than me. I say that I'm joking. But the point here is not about that. The point is about Jesus, who he is, what he has come for. Here the scribes have come down from Jerusalem a long way to investigate this Jesus. Well, not really to investigate. Instead, it is to castigate him, to make fun of him, to laugh at him, to take him down to the level of a buffoon. They say he is possessed by Beelzebul, the Lord of the flies, a Philistine god, the devil. It may be that they see this uneducated man, surrounded as he is by humble Galilean crowds, stinking, very sick, begging to be healed. And they are simply deriding him as being something very much like a rotting corpse, surrounded by hungry flies. No matter what, it is not a compliment. But in it, we are granted a vision of the Gospel. Jesus, the great Lord, has offered Himself to the crowds to the point where neither He nor His disciples can eat. We see that Jesus is truly their food. They count hunger as nothing in comparison to swarming around Him who can truly feed those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And nevertheless, His family says, He is out of His mind what folly to accuse this worker of great miracles of being insane. We see in this that what Paul says is right, that the wisdom of this world is folly with God, and the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The scribes, these scholars of the law, lawyers, have now seen the divine law and logos incarnate, one who not only fulfills the law, but does so perfectly. And all they can say is that he is possessed by 
a demon. His family knows his character. They they know who he is. And now that he has been baptized, he no longer lives with them. He has started this public ministry of healing the sick and casting out demons. And they think, not that he is possessed by demons, but that he's a nutcase. But you see, this is the very twofold darkness of which St. Thomas Aquinas writes, the twofold darkness of sin and ignorance. Thomas writes that God makes eloquent the tongues of infants who with their cries both cry out to God and praise Him. I have to be reminded of this when a toddler or a baby at my house is screaming in my ear. Crying because they don't know what else to do. But they're really crying out to God, or at least I hope so. We read this morning of the fall. Look at what happens to Adam and Eve. Their eyes are opened, but only to see that they are naked. Shame is a fickle stand-in for the sustained vision of God. They know that they are naked, but they must obscure or hide the divine image in themselves because they are ashamed of it rather than glorifying and glorying in their most honorable parts. Their pride has left them in ignorance. Their sin has left them with perverted minds. They believe that they see, but their seeing is shallow. And rather than running out to meet God, they hide among the trees. They hide behind fig leaves. You and I know this personally. Our own pride blinds us. We are often captive to to diseased and perverted thinking. Sin is good. Righteousness is bad. Use words when we were little kids like goody two-shoes. Is that still used? You say things, oh, he must be very good. I don't know. We're blind to the things that truly are and ignorant of the greater things. How often do you and I go through a day and we remember breakfast, we remember coffee, we remember the news, we remember to check Instagram, we remember to check our email, we remember to work out, but we do not remember the Lord. This is the ignorance into which you and I were born on account of the fall. We do not know what is wise. We do not know what is right. And we look upon goodness and we call it evil and we look upon evil and we call it good. But it's worse than that. I've often said original sin means that you and I are dying of a terminal disease called sin. It has left us blind, arrogant, ignorant, and still thinking that we know the way to go even though we know that we are dying. Do you know what, well it used to be this, I think it's something else now, it's been displaced, but that the most popular song to sing at funerals was, and just until, until very recently, I did it my way. I'm not kidding. I've had people request this, and I've said, absolutely not. Pick from the hymnal, you pagan. No, <laughs> I didn't say that, but I wanted to. G.K. Chesterton once wrote an essay entitled, on American morals, and I can't encourage you to read it more highly enough. And I was reminded of it at a wedding hosted yesterday here at Christ Church as the father of the bride, who is present today, the groom and groomsman, also present today, a bridesmaid, and even I myself enjoyed a cigar out on the parish lawn. If you're a smoker, you'll love on American morals. 
Chesterton writes that a young man who continues to drink fermented liquor must necessarily be evil and must deny the very existence of any difference between right and wrong. That is the standard of abstract right and wrong that is apparently taught in the American home, and it is perfectly obvious on the face of it that it is not a standard of abstract right or wrong at all. That is exactly what it is not. That is the very last thing any clear-headed person would call it. It is not a standard. It is not abstract. It has not the vaguest notion of what is meant by right and wrong. It is a chaos of social and sentimental accidents and accusations, some of them snobbish, all of them provincial, but above all, nearly all of them concrete and connected with a materialistic prejudice against particular materials. To have a horror of tobacco is not to have an abstract standard of right, but exactly the opposite. It is to have no standard of right whatsoever and to make certain local likes and dislikes as a substitute. This is an insight into the ignorance that we live in. We do not even know what right and wrong actually are and we replace them with what we like and what we don't like. Preference becomes a stand-in for morality. And it's insane. Those who call Jesus insane are the ones who have truly lost their minds. They say, he is not acting like a proper human being. And they don't know what a proper human being is. They say, he's wild, he's lost his mind, and they don't know what it means to have your mind. They have obscured minds. They are the ones muddled by sin and ignorance. They cannot possibly know what is sane and what is not. And the truth is, most of us, if not all of us, are completely nuts. We are completely insane. It is, as Peter Kreeft writes, we are all insane. That is what original sin means. Sin is insanity. It is preferring finite joy to infinite joy. Creatures to the Creator, an unhappy, godless self to a happy, God-filled self. Only God can save us from this disease. And the height of this insanity is, to put it simply, to call what is truly good evil and what is truly evil good. It is to commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, ascribing the works and miracles of God, that which is good, to demons. And to say of the works of the enemy, oh, isn't that nice? That, beloved, is what is unforgivable. But is this not what many accuse Orthodox Christians of on a daily basis? That it is evil to declare that marriage can only be between a man and a woman? That it is evil to hold any abstract idea of right and wrong? That the true right and wrong are only defined by what is generally accepted and what is generally condemned. That is blindness. It is utter insanity. Those who call evil good, and I say this as we enter yet another June Pride Month, what an ironically apt description, are, uh, are committing utter blasphemy. And the very pride which has pre-existed them, pride which goes back to the fall, Pride which believes it knows the difference between good and evil and yet calls evil good and good evil. Regularly, I'm reminded of this as I hear confessions. A person will tell me in tears of their utter guilt-riddenness, of their attachment to various vices, of how they eat too much ice cream to mask their feelings. Of all of their lusts, of how they cheated on tests and all, this, all the rest in there. And they're very guilt-ridden by this. And rightly so. 
And then they'll say something like this, and I think I missed some Sundays. I can't remember. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Or then they'll say something like this, I have a real problem with pride, but, you know, we all do. And let me just say, that's not nothing! It's damnable beyond literally everything else. That will corrupt the soul. Because it says to God, seated upon the throne, I think you're sitting in my seat. The Christian, however, must not be convinced that the utter insanity of pride will save. The Christian must be convinced that outward glory is no reward compared to the blessed vision of God. As Paul writes, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Think about those crowds gathered around Jesus, the flies swarming to Him. They're wasting away, all of them with hunger, but being renewed by the work of Jesus. What we need, what we must have, is a new vision of human life. Not that of material flourishing alone, as some would have it. Or the adequacy of merely earthly comfort or success. Or acceptance of ideas of freedom, which are little more than licentiousness. But a vision of the weight of glory beyond all comparison. This means not only looking at ourselves without blindness other to our own sinfulness, or to the surpassing glory which we have as bearers of the divine image. The truth is just as the psalmist puts it, if you, Lord, were to mark what is done amiss, O Lord, who could abide it? Well, the truth is, no one could. But here's the joy of what Jesus says today, that whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. And you might ask, how can we, ignorant, sinful, and insane as we are, know the will of God? And how can I not only know what it is, but even more difficult, how can I do it? Well, first, it must be enough. It has to be enough to recognize your own insanity. That you will do the same thing, think the same thing, over and over and over again. That whatever you think about your rational mind, that whatever Kantian visions you think you can ascribe to, that you think you can ascend to, it's all been a disaster. That you will wallow in your own mud and you will like it. What is to be done? Well, consider the crowds this morning that flocked to Jesus. They swarm to Him, for He is their food. Is Jesus your true food? Is the body of Jesus your true food? Beloved, let me be clear, there is nothing more urgent today than for you to make a weekly communion, for you to commit to the daily reading of Scripture, to enter into a flourishing life of prayer. That is your life. All of us must take spiritual health more seriously than our physical health. Paul says bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in all things. So I want you to start urge, to urge yourself, urge yourself to start living by a rule of life whereby the Lord can truly become central to your life. 
Anglicans have often articulated a threefold rule of life, which includes weekly communion, the daily office, and private devotion. The joy of this most simple rule is that it holds forth to us a life that is firstly fueled by the true food and true drink of participation in the body and blood of Jesus. Not our own power, not our own talent, but the grace and participation which Jesus offers. Secondly, this is a life constantly engaged in reading and meditating on Holy Scripture within the context of balanced and well-orchestrated common prayer. And thirdly, this rule allows for the uniqueness of every Christian's calling in prayer to flourish upon the firm sacramental and scriptural foundation that is nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. And I would encourage you even more so, if you have to have a personal trainer to work out, you're going to need a spiritual director to pray. And we happen to have some good ones around here. Second, I urge you to abandon yourself to God's will, to his care and to his providence. Look again at the crowds today. They have flocked to Jesus to the point where they cannot even eat. They can't stop for lunch. And we're seeing in this reading from the Gospel of Mark an otherworldly priority, a hunger and thirst after righteousness, a single-mindedness. With regard to Jesus, with regard to the Gospel, that looks something like fasting. The truth which you and I must see is what the New Testament proclaims, that if you know what is right, that you know what the will of God is, and you do not do it, it is a sin. If you know the Lord's will and you nevertheless oppose it, that is the very definition of sin. But I must testify today, never in my life have I abandoned myself to God's will, as scary and tough as that is, and regretted it. In fact, never have I abandoned myself to my wife's will or the bishop's will, as scary and tough as that is, and regretted it. I've seen the Holy Spirit work, especially when I'm weak, especially when I'm humbled and humiliated, especially when my mind has been muddled, when I've made a habit of certain sins, and when I've suffered the terror of my own insanity. I must be restored to wholeness. And to be restored to wholeness means I must not will my will, but the Lord's will. Not my will, but thine be done. Finally, just a word about the Christian moral life. The Christian must live in constant submission to the will of God, especially as revealed in Holy Scripture and also in the wisdom of the church. Many today are convinced that it is, that it is precisely this kind of moral thinking which is hopelessly outdated. Others are convinced it's oppressive. But as I get older, I grow more and more convinced that I am helpless to know what is right in and of myself. My moral reasoning is corrupted. That Kantian dream turned out to be an illusion because my heart is woefully divided and I need more and more to place my mind and heart in the care of God by humble faith that if I turn to Jesus, He will take away my insanity and heal me Restore me. Bring me to real sanity. And it is in this faith that you and I come before the Lord today, swarming to Him, flocking to Him, that we may do His will and be true members of His mystical body 
of his mystical family. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.